0: everyone and welcome to this month's cab chat podcast i'm dr mindy wait and we have with us as always dr jessica lockhart
1: hello everybody
0: and we have a guest who i many of you i'm sure have have had heard us have on before like once or twice and that's dr erica feuerbacher did i say that right erica yeah you can say feuerbacher or german feuerbacher, feuerbacher. <laughs> oh i did not say it right okay I think you said our our Americanized version. um, Feuerbacher. Yeah. Someday. Someday. (laughs) All right. So um, Dr. Feuerbacher is the associate professor of applied animal behavior and welfare at Virginia Tech. And the reason we've asked her to to join the show today is because she oversees, runs, developed, maintains, et cetera, a, um, a really interesting... What would you call it, Erica, a master's program? Yeah, an online master's program for behavioral professionals. Nice, nice. And and this program is unique from anything else I've ever seen. And so Jessica and I just had lots of questions about it, and I was hoping that she could tell us a little bit about the program. You know, what kinds of students she has, um, what students can expect to have on the back end of the program, what types of classes they would take, and and sort of you know what what she expects their um, their jobs might look like once they've graduated. So Erica, can you just tell us, start off maybe a little bit about like your background, you know, what you've studied, etc.
2: Yeah, sure. So I um, started off actually in biology, uh, in sort of ecology and evolution and physiology um, and did some graduate work in that before switching to, um, well, going to work in an applied setting at, uh, in animal shelters. Um, And from there, I decided I wanted to come back to graduate school and completed my master's at University of North Texas in uh, behavior analysis with Dr. Jesus Rosales-Ruiz, and then completed my PhD in psychology, also in behavior analysis at University of Florida under Dr. Clive Wynn. Uh, In both of those, I studied uh, dog behavior, um, but I'm really interested in learning and training. And so of course, love behavior analysis because that is um, the field that studies how animals learn and we can take an applied view and think about how best we can can train them. Um, From there, I went on and I, I became a certified professional dog trainer along the way. I'm of course a certified applied animal behaviorist now uh, I'm also a board-certified behavior analyst um, for human work, um, and it just kind of gives, I think, me a, a well-rounded a, approach to um, behavior analysis and learning across species. From there, uh, I worked at Carroll College in Helena, Montana, where I ran a, uh, the canine side of an anthrozoology program, so students fostered dogs each year, so I had about uh, 20 or so Uh, shelter dogs on campus, living most of them in campus housing and students train them in basic uh, obedience and then in a specialized task. Uh, And uh, along the way, I've been always keeping up with research on shelter dog welfare and behavior analysis, mostly in dogs, but now in some horses too. Uh, And I just really love research. So I moved out to Virginia Tech, which gives me more opportunities for research um, but have, you know, I always keep a foot in the applied world and I just love supporting behavior professionals and all the folks that are trying to move our field forward and help animals, the people that love them. And so that's where the impetus came for developing this online master's program.
0: Nice. I, I totally forgot that you had previously run that, um, that foster animal program. I, it sounded like a lot of work. Let me just say that.
2: It was, you know, I loved it. I I think it's uh, uh, a great program. If I also weren't trying to do research, which became my hobby there, um, you know, I really loved the program and the students uh, and a a number of our students in our current master's program are actually students from there, which is fantastic um, to have some of my old students with us now learning even more, Uh, but it is, I mean, it's such a cool program. Uh, It should have really been two people (laughs) in that position. and so whenever i thought i'm not getting enough done with research i thought well i'm teaching a full teaching load and running a essentially a 20 dog rescue so that made me feel better
0: <laughs> so um, so at at virginia tech with with this masters program is it is it masters only you know do you offer other i don't know certifications or phd or anything like that
2: so our online program is only masters i know folks have asked us about phd and We'd love to get there someday, but we really want to get a a solid, solid ground Mm -hmm. on our master's program first. We do have in-person master's and PhD, but those require somebody to pick up and move, which a lot of, you know, our target audience can't do because they have uh, established practices and full-time jobs that they want to keep, and they just want to add on to their knowledge base. Um, So we do have those options, but um, I don't think it, it serves our, like I said, our target population as well.
0: I think that's pretty fair, especially, I mean, I'd love to hear you talk about who you think your target population is, but I'm sort of picturing people who already have a little bit of experience under their belt.
2: Yeah, and and um, you know, when we look at applications, we're of course looking for folks that can hopefully manage it academically, um, but a big component is knowing this field already and wanting to know more. Uh, we do get some undergraduate students um, Coming kind of straight out of undergraduate, but they've probably had some animal behavior classes uh, or some experience. Uh, but I'd say the majority of our students are really folks that are currently working in the field. They're working at shelters. They're running their own dog training business. Um, they're working at zoos. Um, you know, they're helping veterinarians and they want to do more behavior. Um, so they already kind of know the field and they know the issues in the field and they've you know got a general idea of the principles out there,
0: but want to get a more solid scientific foundation behind them. Okay. And, and then, so when you're thinking of, of these students who are coming to you, um, when you built the program, like what was your ultimate goal? You know, what did you want it to achieve? So one of my concerns about our field is that it's just not
2: very professionalized and it's not very regulated. And I just see a lot of folks um, that are unqualified, um, uh, you know, working with animals. Um, and I think that's really challenging and it's and it's a disservice to the owners, people that care for these animals um, and they're doing damage, um, you know, to animals out there. So I really, you know, <laughs> I keep thinking like, how can we move our, our field forward? Yeah. Um, and part of, you know, we see this, this push for regulation and some, mm-hmm. um, you know, licensure. Um, but I, I think our, I would really like to see our field move from sort of a trade where, you know, you learn from your mentor uh, and hopefully you get a good mentor <laughs> to one that actually is based in the scientific principles that, that we're using Um And, you know, as I mentioned, I I became a board certified behavior analyst and I use the same principles with dogs and horses as I would if I were working with a child with autism or a neurotypical child or an adult. These principles are all the same. Um, And I do think, you know, you get better practitioners when they know more Mm -hmm. and have a better understanding of all the implications of their procedures and all the pit falls all the things that they need to <laughs> navigate around and so you know I think it's kind of it's surprising to me the amount of experience I need to be a board certified behavior analyst and yet yeah. anybody could call themselves a dog trainer <laughs> so um, you know we kind of uh, I talked a lot with Lisa Gunter about this program and, and she and I together kind of put together what we thought would be a great curriculum um, based largely on the animal behavior society's um associate certified applied animal Behaviorist. Uh, um, you know, regulations and requirements. Um, but yeah, that's, that's my main impetus is really to help the people that are out there working, give them more tools and more knowledge and hopefully elevate the whole field.
0: Yeah. It's it's interesting you say that sort of on, on two fronts. So one is, I know the three of us are all certified applied animal behaviorists through the animal behavior society. And for those of you who are not aware that requires a, um, You have to have either a master's if if you're going to be uh, an associate certified applied animal behaviorist, as Erica just said, or it requires um, a PhD to be the full certified applied animal behaviorist or the the CAB. Um, And there are not many ACABs and CABs in the U.S. I think historically it was like 50. I think that number has grown in the last year, which is superb. Um, But it is really interesting that the ABS is really the only certifying body that requires any sort of. Academic degree to back up the practice.
2: Yeah, exactly, and that's kind of why we chose to, you know, kind of um, build our curriculum uh, around what we thought was important, but also making sure that it, it met those requirements because it, it is really the only one that, like you said, that requires that in the yeah. United States to have um, some some academic backing. You know, I think there are so many practitioners out there that know a lot. You know, they're really talented practitioners they're going to all the seminars, but it, it becomes more piecemeal, right? You have mm-hmm. to kind of hit this seminar and that seminar, and then it's not as cohesive. And you hope that you've picked the right, the right, some, you know, seminar folks that um, are going to teach you the right things. Um, and so we're hoping that, you know, with, with you know, an academic institution, um, you know, there's a little more quality control um, and hopefully because we have put all of these things together that we're creating a, you know, kind of broad and cohesive um, yeah. uh, curriculum.
0: It's, it's funny you say that because, you know, there, are, as you mentioned, there are lots of seminars. I mean, there are nowadays there are tons of conferences, tons of online seminars, tons of online courses that you can just buy. And, you know, I think the three of us probably take quite a few of those because there is a lot of interesting work being done. But um, when I compare what we do to what a, a human applied um, behaviorist does, I mean, there's, I'll be really frank. and I'm going to take some people off. Like there's just, there's no comparison as you've, as you've sort of already mentioned. Um, and that's, that's because when I'm thinking through like Tiffany Kodak is my mentor, Dr. Tiffany Kodak is wonderful. When I'm thinking through how she's approaching a human, um, patient I guess it's really a client, you know, she's thinking through how am I going to identify and define the the behavior of interest? How am I going to measure that? How am I going to implement the measuring of that? How am I going to visualize that? You know, how am I going to blah, blah, blah. Like there's all these pieces. And so it's really not just about identifying, okay, this dog is biting somebody and I'm going to like put in place this protocol that I've seen someone else do. It really is figuring out why is this dog biting and not just subjectively figuring out Cause that's, that's how a lot of the field I think works is people will say, well, this dog, and I, I do the same. I'll be super honest. Um, this dog looks like it's biting because you know it's fearful. And so I'm going to implement this protocol that I saw someone else do that's for fearful dogs. And gee, it did, or it didn't work. And there are so many more pieces to it, like identifying the function of that behavior in the first place, putting in place an evidence-based intervention, tracking the treatment integrity of whoever's implementing that intervention. I mean, there's just, there's so many pieces that we absolutely are missing and it sounds like your master's program is going to address like essentially all like as if they were in a human behavior analysis but it's for animals is that accurate
2: yeah it's pretty accurate um so we certainly do take a behavior analytic approach in our classes it's probably you know not as intensive ba because we do bring in some ethology Mm -hmm. um, animal cognition things like that but hopefully they've got a you know a a good enough background in behavior analysis to kind of apply those principles um, to those other courses and to those topics. And I think the folks that are teaching those topics also um, have uh, a knowledge base that is similar uh, to behavior analysis and and very scientific. And so I think it meshes together really well. So we don't, you know, of course you don't offer all the same classes as uh, a human Mm -hmm. uh, or a, 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 um, a behavior analysis program that's been accredited. Um, but our focus is really towards that angle of understanding the environmental determinants of behavior um, and how we can assess those and modify those.
0: Nice. So Jessica, I have a whole bunch of questions, but I don't want to like talk over you. I know, look You're at good. you. I know, sorry. <laughs> <laughs>
1: no, this is just fascinating. I'm just thinking like, um, you know, hearing about, I know that the master's program has been there, but I, I didn't realize really what the goal population was for the program. And it, it makes a lot of sense because um, I think that there are, there's at least a growing understanding that behavior modification and behavior therapy really shouldn't be done by someone who just woke up one day and was like, I love dogs. I'm going to call myself a behaviorist." Um, there's, there is a lot to it. And I think part of that growing awareness, unfortunately is a reaction to the amount of people who have had to deal with untrained practitioners, if you will, very loosely um, just going out and touting themselves as something that they're not. Um, and, you know, I, It's nice to know that things are popping up that are structured and will hopefully continue to move the field forward because there is a lot of science to it. Um, And
0: I think more programs like this are gonna get that out there. And the thing is there's always more science than I think there is. Like someone will will pop up a paper and I'll be like, well, where the heck did that come from? Like, how did I miss that?
1: And I have to admit, like, just recently, probably within the last month or two, I've i I've had conversations with two different veterinarians, like, completely disparate conversations. These these two vets, although kind of from the same area, they don't know each other, not working together or anything like that. And I had one call and say, so I'm really interested in behavior, um, can you basically tell me a little bit about, I mean, because I think this is a really interesting field. Um, I'd I'd like to learn more. Where can I go? And I'm like, well, (laughs) you're a veterinarian. You you know that there is an actual residency in behavior because it's a, it is a skilled focused specialty. And he was not aware of that. And then uh, I spoke to another veterinarian and I was trying to explain him like oh I'm a cab and this is what I do and he kind of chuckles and he's like you can't get a degree in
0: this <laughs> yeah like, okay well wait was he laughing in just... a way that was like that's wild or like he thought that was really cool and he didn't know oh no no like that's that's crazy how <gasps> could someone get a degree
1: in in this mumbo jumbo field kind of thing like it was it was a it was an opportunity to enlighten and educate is how i viewed it i'm like yeah it's a real science and there are a lot of science-based programs popping up and you know if you're practicing then i would hope that you're aware of what a behaviorist is and how to work successfully with them like yeah yeah, I and you know, every client that I see, we are working happily hand in hand with the veterinarian. Like I, you know, behavior's not in a vacuum. And mm-hmm. that's what I mean by knowing that a program is out there for people who have the background, want to know more, understand that there's a lot behind that curtain, um, and that it's something that you can do. Cause this is an, an online program, right? we already talk about
0: that? It's right, kind of, yeah. yes so cool.
2: it's Yeah, so it's technically, technically all online for our online OMLS program, we do offer some in-person um, one week trainings, but they're not required uh, because we can't require it since it is online. <laughs> um, and, and technically, again, it's asynchronous, but I, I mm. think it's really fun to chat with the students and I think they enjoy it too. So we do add in some synchronous components whenever we can and then offer an asynchronous option for mm-hmm. um, folks that can't join. So we try and give a little more, um, you, know, in, you know, personal touch and I meet with students a lot, um, one-on-one and, and talk about their ideas and research topics. So um, yeah, I mean, I, I think, I hope we're starting to see more of these programs pop up. I, I, you know, I think historically we have seen animal behavior masters, not necessarily online. There are some with different sort of flavors out there but a lot of times they were not as applied focused. And I think Mm -hmm. there is a growing interest in the applied field for, for animal behavior.
0: And I, I just want to say like how much I appreciate the fact that it's, it's online. I'm sure there are some pros and cons to that, but back in the day, when, um, when I was going for my behavior analysis masters, there really there. I don't think there was anything that was online. And so I was not willing to move as like a fully grown adult. Um, and so I went to Marquette University and it was all in person. And I worked with, again, Dr. Stephanie Kodak, who's wonderful. Like I couldn't have asked for a better mentor, but she's focused on humans, which isn't necessarily a bad thing because she was willing um, to go outside a little bit of her comfort zone and, and work with me. She relied on my animal behavior background and I relied on her behavior analysis experience. And like together, we're kind of a, I think kind of a cool team, but I don't think most, I think many human based programs would not be willing to do that and so really the virtual space is the is the only way that all these people out there who I think should have access to this um this coursework can so I'm just I just want to say I'm very grateful that you were willing to put it virtually because I know many um many academics might not have been willing to do that Yeah, and I think it comes from,
2: you know, having been in the applied field. And Mm -hmm. I just know so many of my friends who are fantastic practitioners and would like like an advanced degree in this. um, And they're very qualified to get one, but they have, you know, well-established businesses and they can't just take off full time in another area for two years um, and uproot themselves. So giving them an online option where they can kind of work through it at their own pace. So, you know, some of our students take a semester off some take two two classes a semester. I think that's a challenge for them. Some will do, you know, just one a semester and we try and offer that flexibility,
0: mm-hmm.
2: n- you know, knowing the people that we're trying to serve.
0: And I'll, I'll just say, I think it's totally doable. So when I, um, when I got my master's with Dr. Kodak, like I would go to people's homes with these dogs and she would not, I would just bring her back the data. So it can absolutely work virtually. I know some people might say, well, like, how do you how do you get the hands-on experience? And I'll tell you, if you come into this with some experience, you don't need the hands-on experience from someone else. You just need to have the knowledge for how to change your own behavior. So it absolutely works.
2: Yeah, and we try and, like I said, you know, do some in-person weeks for people that want more or exposure to new species. Like we did this this past, past October um, and students got to work with um, horses up in um, Northern Virginia with us. Uh, we did some shelter work. So hopefully they got some exposure to working with new species and um, you know thinking about their techniques with those um, and when we're thinking about their research projects um, you know one of the things we're looking at is they all come in with these like really unique resources so some mm-hmm. work in shelters and some have uh, run tons of puppy classes and and most of their topics of interest of course revolve around their daily work um, and so for the research project we're really trying to identify, you know, what they're interested in and also what resources do they have readily accessible to them um, so that they can be uh, really successful. And, and you're right, I mean, I think with with Zoom now and and easy access to video cameras, um, you know, we can have them video their sessions, make sure everything's going right. That's not very different from how I would run, you know, work with an in-person mm-hmm. master's student.
0: Right, right. So. So getting down to some of like the, the nitty gritty of this, obviously it's a, it's a master's program. So do you typically expect, like how many years do you think it it typically takes?
2: Um, I would probably, I think, you know, moving through it in two to three years uh, is probably good. You could try and speed up and get through it in a year if you wanted to do it full-time, but I think that's going to be a real challenge. Um, Mm -hmm. First off, you'd have to do it full-time. But I think the courses won't build on themselves quite as much because we'd be taking a lot concurrently. And I don't, I think it'll be more rushed on the research project. So, you know, kind of what we're doing now is their first or second semester in we're chatting with them about their research ideas and then just continuing that conversation about building that and refining it um, to get it to something that's, you know, feasible and really meaningful to them. Uh, and then executing it. So hopefully, we'll get good research projects out of this. And and I think you know, for someone that's coming in and trying to accomplish that in a year, um, yeah, that, that's tough. <laughs> so. Very,
0: very. Especially if you've got someone who's like part time working, and taking the classes and doing the, doing the research like that. Yeah, that'd be a, a bit. Yeah,
2: because I think it takes you know maybe a couple of semesters just to kind of refine right. that research question and. Right. Uh, and so many of our students I think come in with one interest and then they go through a different class and something else pops up on their radar. And they're like, that's what I wanna do. Um, and so, you know, if you, if you come in and say, I'm gonna do this in a year, you have to commit early to that research topic. And you hit these other classes
0: that might bring up fascinating things and you just don't have time to change. Nice. And then when, when your students come in, can they work with like any species of animal?
2: Yeah, they can. I mean, I, you know, certainly right now we we have a lot of students that are focused uh, on dogs. Um, some on cats or horses and some have backgrounds in exotics, but I'd say right now we're kind of dog heavy.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and, and certainly, you know, I think that that's where we see a lot of the field currently is in the, in the dog world. Um, so it's not surprising, but absolutely, you know, any species that they can gain access to, um, you know, we are happy to have them do that. And uh, they're major advisor has to be at Virginia Tech, but they can have outside members. Um, and so, you know, we try and identify potential members that could um, help help them on their project. If it's a um, question that's outside of, you know, anybody's main expertise here or a species that we're not as familiar with, um,
0: you know, we try and round that out for them. Nice. Uh, I, I was gonna have a question about their their research project. So, So in order to get the masters, um do they they have to complete a research project I only ask that because I think when I was getting my master's there was an option to either do a research project or I feel like the other option was like like a clinical project
1: yeah I know some yeah. master's programs have that oral examination like if it's a terminal master's you can do an in-
0: basically an oral defense. I mean, we had both, like you had to, like, you could either do the research or I feel like the clinical, but there was definitely still an oral defense. So yeah, tell us just a little bit about like what, what, what are the requirements? Yeah.
2: Yeah. So it's called, for us, it's called project and report. Um, And so under, we are under the online master's in ag and life sciences, OMLS program at Virginia Tech. And it houses a a variety of concentrations. I think we're up to eight or nine concentrations. So our applied animal behavior and welfare is one. Each concentration gets to essentially decide how they run their project and report. And so different concentrations will run them differently for us, uh, for for several reasons. Um, One, so that students could be eligible to earn their ACAB if they want to. And because uh, we think that, you know, an important part of um, these folks' work, is to contribute back scientifically to our, our field, um, we do require a research project. Um, and again, you know, we chat with them about whether they are planning on getting their ACAB or not and make sure that we're make, you know, ensuring that their their project fits that criteria. So if they're not um, going to go for the ACAB and they want to do more of a survey about um you know human perceptions of shelter dogs or something like that that's fine but if if it's they're going to go for a cab then we make sure that there are dimensions of animal behavior Mm -hmm. in there
0: oh that's smart that's very smart do they have to uh give an oral defense as well
2: yeah so they have um uh at least a a three
0: member committee and uh, they do an oral defense for them okay nice And then the other piece to that is if they're doing the research project, do you guys provide the IACUC and the IRB and all that good stuff? Right. So so, uh, sometimes their projects fit under IACUC uh,
2: protocols that we already have in place, Um, but typically they are writing their own IACUC. And so we help (laughs) them with that. And that's kind of where that you know you need to allot a year's time for your yes. research project comes in because there's like <laughs> I was about to say and that's first year <laughs> yeah exactly like refining yeah we you know it seems that about there's a semester of refining your methods to the point you're satisfied with them and get, getting it to the Cook and getting their approval um, and then the next semester you can start
0: data collection nice and then I assume that when they do the data collection, like they are the people, so they're going to go into. Let's say if they're working with a dog, they're going to go into someone's home or do virtual or whatever. But like they're going to be the implementer of the protocol. They're going to record the session. They're going to score the data. They are going to graph the data, etc. Like they do the whole. They learn every piece of that process.
2: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they're. Yeah. It's a. It's a, a lot to take on. Um, and it's I've been impressed. It is. I mean, I think it's so great. Um, for a number of reasons um you know first they get to practice taking data on animal behavior so that hopefully when they're in their practice they can also take data and yep. hopefully demonstrate efficacy of their interventions um but i think it also opens everyone's eyes to the challenges of research um and so when you read research papers you have an appreciation for, for the struggles oh, that my went into gosh. It.
0: yes mm-hmm.
2: <laughs> Uh, And and when you see papers and you think, well, why didn't they do X, Y, or Z, hopefully they recognize that, um, you know, maybe that wasn't feasible, given the population they're working in, or adding in all these other variables or all those other questions are just, that's a whole extra paper. Um, and, And so I think coming to terms with the fact that there is no perfect study, that there will always be confounds, that that's why you have a second study. <laughs> you know, I think all those things are, are really useful um, and hopefully they um, come to appreciate the, the scientific enterprise.
0: I can't tell you how much I appreciate that because I cannot stand, I cannot stand seeing people on Facebook make comments about papers who have never published a paper, like. <laughs> I just don't even. Yep. Yeah. And I know Facebook is not the place to have that conversation in the first place, but still, you know, um, i sure right. I'm sure
1: I change people's minds. I'm every sure day. I'm I sure make a comment, and They're like, wow, <laughs> Absolutely.
0: I didn't think about
2: that <laughs> a whole new worldview. But the other thing
0: is- <laughs> The other thing I imagine that people are getting out of this, like if they're, you know, if they're doing the research and they're prepping for the research and they're writing their own paper, you know, one thing that's really important in our field that hasn't been highlighted until recently is the ability to actually read the primary literature. And it sounds like your students will come out being able to do that.
2: Yeah, we, exactly. We integrate um, primary source literature into all of our courses. They're getting experience reading that and thinking critically about, um, you know, (laughs) you know, did they have good methods? Are there concerns? Do they leave out controls? Um, maybe they have good data, but their discussion goes beyond the data. Um, and so you can like the data, but not their framing of it. Um, but, you know, follow up studies to it. Um, so, yeah, they get a, a lot of experience um, reading those in a, a variety of domains in their classes.
0: Nice. So then, my sort of last question to all of this is when you've got your students and it comes to graduation time, what kinds of jobs do you think they are set up to do that they weren't before? Or what kinds of jobs do you think that they can, they can you know, such that they can do better than they could before?
2: Yeah, so I think, you know, certainly going into um, shelter work where we need more folks that are Data savvy. Um, there's a lot of data there. There's a lot of things we want to know about shelter dogs and shelter dog outcomes and behaviors in the shelter. And, you know, just I, I think in general, in, in that regard, in um, their animal animal training enterprises, people that have a better sense of measuring data and ass- or measuring behavior, assessing behavior, and measuring behavior change are going to be really helpful. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that's where. Um, you know, we, we kind of take the approach of the scientist practitioner where the practitioner themselves can be a scientist. And, and in our research methods class, we talk about single subject designs a lot because they are quite appropriate for people working in the field um, that are interested in the effectiveness of their treatment for this individual animal um, and, and can start to answer some questions and contribute to the field that way. So I think, you know, going into the shelter world and improving things. So not just um, doing their work, but actually generating data, whether it's internal or they publish it to think about what are the effects of their programs that they're putting into place? Um, What are the behavioral outcomes for the dogs? What are the adoption outcomes for these dogs? And then can they turn that back around and improve the the sheltering practices that they have um, identifying, challenges or holes or things that are doing well and capitalizing on those. And the same goes for their, their um, behavior, their training practices as well. Uh, you know, you mentioned earlier that, that in the human world, um, you have to show um, graft data, you have to show, you know, behavioral measures and outcomes and if the outcome isn't going your way, you have to change your procedures. Um, you know, the insurance requires this um, to cover behavior analytic services, but we don't have that in the dog training world. Yeah. Um, and so, you know, I think we owe our clients um, the ability to say we are improving your dog's behavior. And sometimes that behavior change is slow. And so graphing seeing trends can be reinforcing to us to keep us going. Um, so I think they will be better practitioners once they're out there. You you mentioned um, understanding the function of behavior. And so I think that's one of the things I see in our students and I just love is their um, awareness of the many possible and potentially subtle functions of behavior. And instead of just saying, I'm gonna use food as a reinforcer or not that our students typically do this, but other practitioners, I'm just gonna punish everything. They actually stop to think about why is this, you know, why is the animal doing this? Why is it important to them? Could I use that to establish a new, more desirable behavior if it's mm-hmm. important to that animal? Um, so I think, you know, I think it, it will improve those practices also in the zoo world, but I think it hopefully opens doors to um, uh, higher level jobs and jobs that might require some, you know, um, data analysis and, and things like that.
0: That's great. Um, I'll carry us. Oh, go for it. Go for it, Jessica. I was just going to say, you know,
1: between, I I think all three of us come from this uh, pretty strong comparative background where, you know, my education was, I was 50-50 between the biology department and the psychology department. And so um, I think having that understanding and that appreciation of the fact that um basically everything learns the same way you know <laughs> it, uh, mm-hmm. it it goes it goes a, a long long way and when you comprehend important things like you know punishment is aversive and it doesn't necessarily have to come from the trainer to be coming from the environment so if your environment is inherently punishing adding more punishment isn't going to get you somewhere. And so, you know, lessons like that, which maybe you could, you could sort of key into from a trainer, if you're going and doing an internship or whatever, you're going to get a lot more detail of, and a deeper understanding mm-hmm. of how these systems work. And, it, and when you think about all the services, well, yeah, rewards are going to make things better and punishments is going to make things worse. Um, okay, sure. But, you know, the field of, of learning, just learning theory is so deep and, and, and meaty and weighty. And yeah. and there's so much more to it than just positive is good. And, and, oh, I did it right positive reinforcement does not mean (laughs) good things Um, but you know give me food and I will do work no not necessarily right? right? so um, actually studying it and and learning it especially from someone with a comparative background that can pull out a lot of examples like hey well you can see this in humans like um, for me the uh, something that's very relevant right now is like food calling in chimps and other apes it's very common practice when they're eating something good. They usually do some food calling to let the group know, hey, this is something good. All of my children engage in that behavior. And I know (laughs) if they're enjoying it because the singing and humming gets even louder. And it's so funny because it is something they have grown. But, you know, I know this doesn't have to do with your master's program, but (laughs) it's more to highlight the fact that Having this comparative background, like it's just so valuable and it yeah and it really can open things up and make things so much more clear. And it it makes you able to think faster on your feet when you're faced with a challenge that seems really obscure. It's like, well, you know, I've you know working with apes, I understand this food calling behavior. So now if I need to get my kids to eat, I can actually apply that in a completely different situation um, that's equally as valuable right so and you get the same thing with dogs if you you study canines no matter what level there's going to be some generalization Mm -hmm. there's generalization just mammalian behavior there's generalizations um, are you working with predators versus prey animals you know so there's i think having access to that amount of scientific study and deep understanding was really valuable. Mm-hmm. So I, you know, these programs, especially programs that are run by people as educated and as grounded and as competent as Erica is, um, are just amazing. So yeah. Yeah. I just like listening and hearing more about this program sounds good. <laughs>
2: I, I want enjoy. to join. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> we it this? I mean, I think that's what we thought about when we created it is like, what would we have wanted to have yes. had? And so we kind of cobbled together our expertise, um, but we, maybe we can make it easier for the, for the next folks. And I think you're absolutely right, Jessica. I'm, um, you know, we get in these really savvy practitioners sometimes and what is, reinforcing to me is that you know a lot of material we cover in like my uh applied behavior analysis for animal behaviors course is review for them but then we go deeper and they always say that they're like i had no idea it was this complex and i think that's really useful um and for the veterinarians out there that think it's silly you could get a phd in this i think recognizing how incredibly complex behavior is um And, and all the things that are going on and all the things we really have to think about all the time uh, when, we're, when we're training is, is really important. And, I, and hopefully, it, you know, when we do see behavior change, um, it's incredibly amazing, right, knowing how complex it is, and yet we can still have some effect. And then the other thing I'll just say is... Um, we have, I, uh, Lisa described me as collecting great people. <laughs> and I am, I'm a collector <laughs> and I've collected some really great faculty for our program, including Mindy um, and uh, Christina Spalding and Jessica Heckman and Lisa Gunter, uh, Robin Foster. So, um, and, and Kendra Sewell at Virginia Tech. So I've, I've, you know, I find cool people and I'm grateful I get to work with them and, and they still want to work with me. Um, and it certainly benefits our students. I mean, they get just, top top people in the field
0: <laughs> thanks erica well we'll we can end on that i think i <laughs> i like that no um i think my my super i swear this is my last question is can you just give people an idea of the the types of courses that they would take like like what some not the titles per se but what the foci are
2: sure so we kind of have uh in our in our minds kind of two tracks one is very learning theory based so we do um you know a behavior analysis course i call it applied behavior analysis but i i'm a little bit of an EAB, experimental analysis of behavior, kind of basic learning processes nerd. And so I I throw in a lot more there than you might get in a human ABA course. Um, And then we have courses that build on that, applications of how would you use those principles to solve behavioral challenges in different animals. Um, And then a consulting course that Mindy and Christina are putting on um, that build off of, again, those basic principles and then how are you working with clients um, to implement these. And then we have, more of a a biological kind of um, thread. Uh, So Jessica Heckman teaches a um, behavioral biology of domesticated animals course. We have some ethology courses, um, ethology and welfare of managed animals. So looking at um, how can we understand their ethology, how we can use that to measure their welfare, how can we use it to improve their welfare. Um, And then we have some applied equine behavior course. And then the other One that I think is really interesting, again, I I want our students to come out really well-rounded as much as they might focus on, you know, behavioral principles and environmental manipulations. They have to know their species, which is the ethology, and understanding how they can use that to improve the animal's behavior and welfare. Um, But also understanding all the other things that impact behavior. As Jessica mentioned, it doesn't happen in a vacuum. So our uh, adjunctive approaches to animal behavior class brings in you know, information about nutrition and how nutrition impacts behavior, uh, how nutraceuticals can impact behavior, how behavioral pharmacology can impact behavior and how they can partner with uh, professionals in these fields to um, again, hopefully have the best behavioral outcomes for their clients possible. How, you know, how can you use nutrition to, <clears throat> um, uh, or behavioral pharmacology to help your behavioral um, practice um, have better outcomes?
0: So if, if no one else is tempted, let me just say, I would take all of those classes, including my own. So um, no, that sounds, it, it really does sound fabulous. And I, I totally agree with the both of you that it's it's the type of thing that I just, I wish would have existed before now. So, um, so thank you for yeah. putting it together. Um, obviously, if students have questions, I assume we should direct them to you, your website. Yeah,
2: um, they can find me on our Virginia Tech website. Um, I'll spell out my email as well. It's um, my initials e as in Nan, F is in Feuerbacher, at vt.edu Edu, and I happy happy to field questions. We usually, you know, might have a quick Zoom chat. Our OMLs kind of oversee supervisor Jennifer Jones also hosts first Fridays. Um, For the OMLS program, it won't be applied animal behavior and welfare specific, but it'll talk about the nuts and bolts of the overall program. And then if they're interested in finding out more about the specific concentration, then I'm the person to talk to about that.
0: Oh, and when are um, when are applications due? Is it a rolling deadline or? Um, There are three deadlines throughout the year. Um, One is today. (laughs) So for the spring
2: semester, (laughs) uh, so it's it's good timing. Um, The deadline is December 15th. Um, I'd have to look online. I think it's April fifteenth for okay. the summer semester, and July fifteenth for the following fall semester.
0: Nice. So if people are interested, they've got they've got about five months to prepare their application. Okay, that's right. <laughs> or <More laughs> about ten minutes. <laughs> oh,
1: <that's true>. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh my god! I picked the ten minute version. I bet. <laughs> But I like that level
0: of challenge in my life. See if I can do it. Yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, so, um, so I will have all of your information up on the website. If people are interested in learning more, definitely reach out to Erica. She's very, very open, very available, very approachable. So don't hesitate to reach out to her, but, um, thank you so much, Erica, for, for coming on and telling us more about your program, which again, sounds completely incredible. Uh, and I hope we will have you on again soon because I know you also do some really killer research, which we don't have time to chat about today. So thank you so much.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me on. It's so fun chatting with both of you and I appreciate getting to talk about our program.
0: All right, we'll see you all next month.